0: Hello, Roy. Here I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to the Roy Green Show ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Neil Rao joins us on the Roy Green Show. He is an infectious diseases specialist in Halton Region in Ontario, also professor of medicine at the University of Toronto School of Medicine. Dr. Rao has been very good to us with his time. So uh, I don't know where to start. Maybe I'll start with this one, if because your challenge the orthodoxy. Dr. Rao of the um, pandemic messaging, is that frowned upon?
1: I think there's a growing minority that agrees with me, but I think uh, many feel it's confusing to the public if we ask questions. And I do want to say it's very confusing if people who challenge orthodoxy tell people to disobey public health orders, and I would never do that. But I do think we need to start asking questions about restrictions as to whether they are necessary And whether we can start peeling away at some of them. And also asking critical questions after a few weeks of trying something as to whether it didn't work and whether we should reverse the restriction. What I do find is going on is that there's a lot of imposing of restrictions, and when they don't work, we add on new ones rather than filtering out the ones that didn't really work and then imposing new ones. So it's always sort of a race to the bottom. And the other thing I'm observing is that people are always looking over their shoulder to see what someone else is doing, and they never go backwards because someone else went backwards. Instead, they look at what someone else did that's more restrictive, and they try to copy them. And we almost went down that rabbit hole in Ontario with a sort of a curfew, but not a curfew, model um, thankfully we didn't go as far as Quebec did but there was a lot of this you know after Quebec did this what should we do thinking and I wish people would look the other way to a, a more moderate anchor like British Columbia being here in Ontario saying okay maybe BC hasn't done all the things we've done here restaurants are still open stores are open with limited capacity why didn't we start going that way because after all BC is not a disaster having not done all the things we've done So these kinds of questions are difficult to see asked in a public forum, and I think we should be able to have those discussions, especially when people's rights are being uh, constitutional rights and rights are being uh, subjected to some restrictions and and controls. Uh, These are very big decisions. These are big sacrifices by people that are being asked of them.
0: We spoke with the uh, executive director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association yesterday about that very issue. So let me just go to a couple of areas where I know you have concerns, and let me start with, and most of the kids in Canada are in school, not all of them, and that's a huge concern to you about uh, keeping children from the classroom. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, I mean, I, hey, I'm, I'm a parent. My kids, luckily, are older, but you know, when they're young, they need that socialization. The, the social development is as important as the intellectual development. I think there are a lot of things that are not amenable to teaching by Zoom. For example, you can't teach a kid musical instrument by Zoom. It's just not the same. Um, I think there's also the issue of phonation and speech development. It's hard with math to begin with, but I think things like that in a, for a child's pronunciation, those things need to happen in person. The other big thing though, is kids are on the screen the whole time. I know not all forms of screen are bad, and when my kids were younger, there was sort of a screen time obsession. but you know when when it turns from school screen to TikTok and YouTube, and there's no physical activity, and then you have these recommendations to people to stay indoors. <laughs> How do they get their exercise? I mean, physical activity is important for kids. Childish obesity is a big problem, and we've sort of forgotten about this on the altar of sacrifice for COVID. And children, if they do get COVID, the worst thing that can happen is not to them, but they could transmit it to those who are at risk. We have to try our best to protect those at risk in multi-generational households. We need to get that vaccine out as soon as we can. There are bumps in that road. It's a slow process. But to tell kids they can't go to school until this precondition has been satisfied that we can vaccinate everyone at risk means kids will lose up to a year of their education when all is said and done. This is a massive massive sacrifice this comes with huge long-term costs and some economists have written about this someone from the university of waterloo wrote a piece uh, on this uh, recently about what the economic costs are of of, of depriving children of their education
0: we are placing a great deal of faith and we want to in vaccine rollout and uh, there's of course a great deal of talk in this country about the pfizer delays And we just heard a clip from the prime minister saying the goal remains to have everyone who wants to be vaccinated by September vaccinated by September. But we're placing a great deal of faith, hope, uh, whatever you want to use as far as uh, adjectival description is concerned Uh, in the the vaccine uh, putting an end to to COVID. What's your sense of what we should realistically expect the vaccine to accomplish?
1: So we definitely have to manage our expectations and by the way, I'm pro-vaccine and I've already had my first dose as a healthcare care provider. so mm-hmm. point out there. But the ones who really need it are the ones at greatest risk for bad outcomes, that is people in long-term care. They should be the priority. they're actually a higher priority than I am as a health care provider in good health. The next priority sh- priority should be people who do essential things. This even includes, teachers to some degree, uh, people in factories and food service industries, those who are in congregate settings, public facing, who can't be protected from the virus despite the mask wearing, despite the ventilation, those people also should be high priority. But the problem is availability of the vaccine. And by the time we get the vaccine, we might start to see a natural decline in the number of new cases, in part due to seasonality, in part due to emerging immunity to the virus on the part of those who've already had the virus itself. Um, and as a result, there's also going to be some cases of people get very sick, who end up in ICU, who die. And those cases can't be prevented, despite the fact that we have a vaccine, but that is unfortunately available in a trickle. So to have the faith that the vaccine is going to bring an end to this is quixotic. And perhaps unrealistic. I'm not saying we shouldn't try our damnedest to get it out there uh, as m- much as we can, but I think we have to manage our expectations. And the other issue is we can't keep restrictions going with this precondition of vaccination. Another caution is that we don't know if the vaccination stops transmission. This is an open question. I wish and hope that it does, but we don't know that it does. We may end up with a vaccine that's more like the flu vaccine that can protect those who get it from getting a bad whack from it, but that it doesn't prevent people from getting a mild form of the disease, which they can then transmit to other people. This is of relevance for healthcare providers like myself. The idea of my getting vaccinated is for me to be protected from giving it to the people I care for. I'm not sure the vaccine has that deliverable yet, and we need to watch the science carefully. I hope so, but I'm not
0: sure. Okay, uh, do you do you think that uh, what Dr. Fauci in the U.S. is suggesting, and he's saying 100 million doses in 100 days is quite doable. Does that sound right to you?
1: It's doable if they have the supply. Now, the U.S. is a producer of the vaccine, and unfortunately we are not. So we are at the mercy of what we can get. And then there are other companies making vaccines that are getting licensed, so things could change. But I, I think for us it's not doable. Maybe in the U.S. it is doable, But again, the timing is still going to be an issue. Like the vaccine after one dose doesn't give you the same protection as it does after the second dose. So we're having cases of people getting the disease in long-term care after they've had only one dose of vaccine. It takes four weeks till they get that second dose. So you've also got time not on your side in terms of the impact of this vaccination program on the trajectory, on the outbreak trajectory.
0: So in, uh, it's crazy at the beginning of the show to say to you, the first interview, I'm already short on time. <laughs> That's the reality of we're just cramming so much into the program today. In the minute we have left, what would you do? What is the most fundamental thing that you as an experienced infectious diseases specialist who's been through SARS, H1N1 in 2009 as well, now with COVID? What's the one thing that you would do that we have to do in order to properly protect ourselves and protect our mental well-being and protect our economy?
1: We have to get the kids back to school. It seems obtuse, but people can't work if their kids are stuck at home. It's, it's, it's harmful to ki- for the kids. The second really big thing, if I'm allowed a second, is we do have to roll that vaccine out in long term care as much as we can. But we don't have time on our side, nor do we have supply right now. But we have to try our best.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever.